In today's brief, we'll talk about a Serbian brigade, the nuclear test treaty, and Zelensky's statement on Israel. I'm Linnea, and today is Monday, October 9th, 2023. You're listening to the Ukraine War Brief podcast, where we bring you up to speed on the war in Ukraine in about 20 minutes or less. Let's get started with the news from the front. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Russian losses over the weekend included 46 tanks, 44 armored combat vehicles, or ACVs, 40 artillery systems, two multiple-launch rocket systems, or MLRS, three anti-aircraft systems, 32 unmanned aerial vehicles, called UAVs or drones, and 1,540 personnel. While losses on Friday and Saturday were relatively consistent, they were much lower on Sunday. Among the possible explanations for the difference are incomplete reporting and a relative lull in offensive operations. The GSAFU reported that Russian forces attempted to advance on fronts in Kupiansk, Liman, Bakhmut, Marinka, Shakhtarsk, and Zaporizhia, but none of the attempts were successful. According to Operational Command East spokesperson Ilya Yevlash, because the area is so strategically important to them, Russia is throwing all available forces and reserves at the area north of Bakhmut in Donetsk Oblast, engaging in minor counteroffensive operations to prevent Ukrainian forces from developing their offensive. In the southern theater of operations, Ukrainian forces achieved partial success west of Robotne in Zaporizhia Oblast over the weekend, and have increased offensive operations toward Kopany in the Tokmak direction, with a flank attack from north of the settlement in addition to the main attack from Robotne to the east. Russia appears to have some real concerns about Ukrainian forces breaching their defenses in the Melitopol direction, according to the UK Defense Intelligence Report, and are building additional fortifications and reinforcing existing trenches with concrete in Novoprokopivka and along the route to Tokmak. Russian officers in Tokmak have also reportedly begun evacuating their families from the city. UK Defense Intelligence also reported that the situation has more or less stabilized west of Vuhledar around Velika Novosilka in Donetsk Oblast, and fighting in the area has been far less intense over the past few weeks. Notably, however, Ukrainian forces have maintained engagement with the 36th and 5th Combined Arms Armies of the Russian Eastern Military District, preventing them from being redeployed to shore up other areas of the front. In the temporarily occupied territories, satellite imagery of the Kerch Strait Bridge between Russia and occupied Crimea, shared by U.S. Open Source Intelligence, or OSINT, researcher M.T. Anderson, indicates that repair work has made significant progress. The rail bridge was damaged and two spans of the road bridge had collapsed following the July 17th attack by Ukrainian naval drones, but imagery from October 4th shows a new road span in place. Damage to the rail bridge, however, is still visible. The BBC's Russian service reported on Telegram that Russian-appointed head of the occupation administration in Zaporizhia Oblast, Yevgeny Balitsky, has announced that, quote, After the new year, we will take more stringent measures to ensure that only citizens of the Russian Federation will live on our territory. If before the new year a person still receives medical coverage using a Ukrainian passport, then after that he will not receive it. 
This is a tactic that occupation authorities have used in the past to coerce Ukrainian citizens in the occupied territories to take Russian passports. And Ukrainian authorities have stated that citizens in the occupied areas can take Russian passports if not doing so would be dangerous and put their lives at risk. According to Russia, about 83% of the citizens in the newly and illegally annexed territories have taken Russian passports, but there's absolutely no way for us to independently verify that number. On the home front, Dnipropetrovsk Oblast Governor Serhii Lysak reported on Saturday that Russian forces conducted heavy artillery strikes against the city three times during the day and into the evening, though there were no casualties. In a statement released on October 6th, the Ukrainian Ministry of Economy said that a decree had been issued to seize the remaining assets of the Russian government still in Ukraine, including seven non-operational MiG-25 fighter jets that the Ukrainian Air Force will be able to strip for any usable parts. Speaking of harvesting for parts, let's talk about the Russian Federation. Remember how Russian president-slash-dictator Vladimir Putin said last month that Russia would not be recruiting foreigners into its armed forces and didn't need foreign fighters? As it turns out, a group of about 30 mercenaries from Serbia flew to Moscow shortly after that announcement to join the 106th Airborne Division. According to BBC Russia, Moscow is actively recruiting Serbian citizens to fight in Ukraine, with the goal of enlisting a few hundred soldiers. This kind of reminds me of how Putin said that Russia would not invade Ukraine, and then how Putin said that there would not be a full mobilization in Russia, and then how Putin said things were totally cool between him and now reportedly assassinated PMC Wagner leader Yevgeny Prigozhin, and that whole coup thing was all water under the bridge. Russian permanent representative to international organizations Mikhail Ulyanov announced on Twitter on October 6th that Russia plans to dip out on the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty, or CTBT, in order to be on, quote, equal footing with the United States, which signed the treaty in 1996 but hasn't gotten around to ratifying it yet. The CTBT established a ban on nuclear explosion tests and its reversal is definitely not at all problematic when Russian forces are currently illegally occupying the largest nuclear power plant in Europe, the Zaporizhia NPP, is sending tactical nukes to Belarus, and literally cannot stop threatening nuclear war. Some quick assessment here. We still think it's more likely that Russia would create a nuclear hazard due to incompetence rather than intentionally. This is, after all, the same force that dug trenches in the Chernobyl exclusion zone and stores live munitions in the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant complex. If you're enjoying the episode, please rate us and leave a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to reach out to us via email at social at borlingen.media. That's B-O-R-L-I-N-G-O-N dot media. In News Worldwide, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky issued a statement in response to the deadly terror attack in Israel on Saturday morning, saying, quote, Terror should have no place in the world, because it is always a crime, not just against a specific country or this terror's victims, but against humanity in general and our entire world. 
Anyone who resorts to terror commits a crime against the world. Whoever finances terror is committing a crime against the world. The world must stand united and in solidarity so that terror does not attempt to break or subjugate life anywhere and at any moment. Israel's right to self-defense is unquestionable. All details surrounding this terrorist assault must be revealed so the world knows and holds accountable everyone who supported and helped carry out the attack. End quote. President Zelensky announced on Twitter that Germany would be providing Ukraine with another Patriot air defense system, saying, quote, I'm grateful for Germany's support in defending our freedom and people. This is also the defense of Europe and our shared values. End quote. Europol, the European Union Agency for Law Enforcement Cooperation, has joined the team investigating international crimes committed in Ukraine and will provide analytical and forensic support to the other members of the joint investigation team, facilitate the collection and analysis of OSINT data, and make available their expertise in the field of war crimes, crimes against humanity, and other international crimes. In an opinion piece published in the Wall Street Journal last week, Frederick Kagan, former professor of military history at the U.S. Military Academy West Point, argued that Western experts and decision-makers need to stop debating which weapons would be best for Ukraine and just give them the weapons they ask for, noting that no weapon is perfect and that while systems like the M1 tank aren't optimal for Ukraine, it's the only tank NATO has available in large quantities. Similarly, the F-16 fighter jet isn't well-suited for Ukraine's military airfields, but, quote, the U.S. has a lot of them. That's a good enough reason to choose the F-16 over the Swedish Gripen, the French Mirage, the U.S. F-15, or even the A-10. The F-16 by itself won't change the outcome of the war, but it would give Ukraine the ability to challenge Russian aircraft and fire from the air on Russian positions. End quote. Russia hopes to be re-elected to the United Nations Human Rights Council in a secret ballot tomorrow after being ejected following the full-scale invasion of Ukraine in February 2022. Unfortunately, according to a senior Asian diplomat, it is entirely possible that Russia will be voted back in, saying, quote, I think there is Ukraine fatigue. And second, many people do not want UN bodies to be dominated by Western voices, not to mention overbearing attitudes. End quote. The U.S. added 42 Chinese companies to a government export control list due to the company's support for the Russian military, including supplying Russia with tech components originating from the U.S. A statement by the U.S. Department of Commerce read, quote, Today's additions to the entity list provide a clear message. If you supply the Russian defense sector with U.S. origin technology, we will find out, and we will take action. End quote. Seven other companies from Finland, Germany, India, Turkey, the United Arab Emirates, and the UK were also added to the list. Despite drama in the U.S. Congress, the Biden administration is expected to announce a new weapons package for Ukraine this week using some of the remaining $5.4 billion in presidential drawdown authority the Pentagon found after correcting an accounting error. The Presidential Drawdown Authority enables Biden to pull equipment from existing U.S. stocks to provide to other nations as necessary. Russian private military company, or PMC Wagner, had more than one coup up their sleeve. President of Moldova, Maya Sandu, said in an interview with the Financial Times that the mercenary group's leader, Prigozhin, had planned the coup earlier in the year 
and Russia is smuggling money into the country reportedly to bribe voters ahead of a series of elections in order to topple Sandu's pro-Western government. The Beyond Parallel Project of the U.S. Center for Strategic and International Studies has observed a sharp uptick in freight traffic between North Korea and Russia, following the meeting between the two dictators back in September, noting that a satellite image from the 5th of October of a railway facility in Tumangong on the North Korean side of the border between the two countries shows an unprecedented number of freight cars, 74 in total. Beyond Parallel also reported that developments at the rail facility indicate that North Korea is likely planning to expand the facility. That's the brief for today. Remember to check your sources and don't fall for propaganda. Join us on YouTube and TikTok for more Ukraine content and live news reports. And if you haven't already, please consider subscribing to our work on Substack. We'll be back tomorrow with more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. Do pobaczenia!